The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Uh, okay, well, we are going to kick off a new series. We're done with the summer. We come into the fall, and I've just been anticipating this series for a while, uh, guarding the gospel through 2 Timothy. We love preaching through books of the Bible. Probably about 70% of the year, this is what we'll do, is we will pick a book of the Bible whether Old or New Testament, and we will just walk through it, sometimes very slow and verse by verse. And so this may be an opportunity for you where you have maybe never read a book of the Bible in your life. Uh, maybe you've, maybe you, you've read the Bible, uh, you have some favorite verses and passages that you go to, uh, you hear sermons preached, or you listen to podcasts, or you have Bible studies, but maybe you've never sat down and started at the beginning of a book and walked through this whole thing. This is a great opportunity to do it. Second Timothy is going to be a, a great opportunity. So I have a few goals for us as we get started on, on the study through Second Timothy. Real brief, and then we'll dig into our passage. One, commit to the study, to the thoughtful study of Second Timothy. This might be the first time that you've ever read this book or any book. Don't depend, here's my encouragement, don't depend on, on sound bites in Second Timothy. Don't depend on little nuggets of, of encouragement and wisdom throughout this book. But let this be a time where you say, I am going to read 2 Timothy. I'm going to be with my church and read through this and, and make it a point and, and be deliberate in making sure that I gather with God's people on Sunday morning for worship. And I'm going to journey as the church journeys through this book. Every Sunday, come with your Bibles open, ready to hear from God and, and, and ask Him to, to really change you in this process. Participate in your life groups, if you're in one, as we go through these sermon-based these, uh, sermon uh, studies in our life groups as we walk through Second Timothy. Uh, we've provided a resource for you that, um, that I think is going to be really beneficial. It's simple and practical, and yet I think it goes a long way. And that's just, we created this little journal that we have in the back. They're $3, and it'll help you. Each week, or each uh, left side of the page has the passage of Scripture for that week. And then we have some note pages where you can journey along. And those life groups are going through the same structure and same schedule. And so you can use this as a life group journal. You can use it as a journal for Sunday morning. You can use it as a journal for your quiet times going through 2 Timothy. I mean, really immerse yourself and, and give yourself to this book. The second thing is seek transformation, not just information. And you guys might go through 2 Timothy and say, wow, I never learned that before. And you might become, at the end of this eight weeks, just a very smart person as it relates to the book of 2 Timothy. And that's awesome, but that's not our main point. We don't want you just to gain intelligence and knowledge about the Bible. We want God to change your heart. We want you to be changed. We want, we want the, the power of the Spirit to enable you to have this grace-fueled joy in your relationship with Jesus because of how he's spoken to you through this book. And so seek transformation, not just information. That's the second goal. And third is remember that God speaks to you today. God's speaking to us through his word. He, he desires that we come to his word and open up the Bible and say, God, what would you, what would you say to me today? And he responds through his scripture. So as we open up the Bible and we read these words, we're not just merely reading um, historical documents that are thousands of years old. We are reading the word of God that comes with power and authority and that seeks to change and convince our conscience and change our lives for God's glory and our joy. And so that's my, my goal and my excitement and my joy for us is that we would, that that would happen. And that we would do that. And so let's turn to 2 Timothy. I'll give you a moment to find that book. Um, 2 Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote uh, much of the New Testament. 
This is a letter that he has written to his, his trusted protege and friend, and, and one he calls a um, child in the faith, his spiritual son. And, and he writes his second letter to Timothy. We're going to read just the first seven verses, 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting at the very beginning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father and Christ, the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. What a great opening to this letter. What a great opening to this very personal letter and instruction and encouragement and exhortation from, from kind of a, a, a prince of the faith, apostle Paul, to his protege, this young man, Timothy, whom he loves, who he's done ministry with. Imagine you grew up in the family business. Many, maybe some of you had. I, I did. My dad was, a, by trade, he was a plumber who had a family business and grew up in this business. It didn't matter what it was. It could be anything. Consider the family business. It could be uh, you, your family owned a restaurant or maybe an auto repair shop or maybe they uh, had a law firm that, that was in the family business. Whatever it is, at a young age, you began to learn these, the trade, the tricks of the trade. You began to learn the industry and the business, how to do all the things necessary in that vocation. And as you grew older, they gave you more and more responsibility. As you went to school, they they maybe they gave you a full-time job, and you were coming up in, in the business and learning more and more. Never really desiring to take over the business. You had, a, you had a great job. You had a great role. You enjoyed the privilege of not really ever wondering, what were you going to be when you grew up? And so you didn't think about that because you knew you were going to be in the family business. So you were satisfied with your vocation no matter what was happening. You were satisfied with the comfort of living in the shadow of your family's success. And see, well, you were good. But one day, your dad, maybe your dad or, the, or your mom, the owner of this company, comes to you and says, I'm dying. I'm dying and I need to pass the baton to you. I need to pass the family business to you. The company is yours. And so listen closely to what I'm about to tell you. You see, this is something that you never really thought. You never thought it would come that quickly if it did come at all. Second Timothy is that kind of conversation where Paul is in Rome, and he's in prison. And Paul's been in prison a lot, right? If you, learn, if you read his letters, you see that he's almost always in prison. He's always being persecuted, but this time is different. Paul feels a little different about this kind of imprisonment. He is in prison in Rome during the most intense persecution that Christians had ever faced during the reign of the evil emperor Nero. And Paul anticipates his execution, and as he writes to his friend, he, he tells him, my my time is coming to the end. This is going to be it. This is the end of the line for me. Therefore, he, he writes this final encouragement, this final exhortation to charge Timothy, this trusted protege, to urge him to guard the gospel, 
to listen closely to what he has said, to not forget what he has been taught, to stand firm in what he believes, to stand firm in his calling to pastor his church, to love God's people, to preach the word, to trust in God, no matter what opposition he was going to face in his life. So Paul's example becomes our example. For anyone who desires to live a a faithful life, anyone who desires to to live faithfully in what God has called us to be, to follow Jesus, to glorify God, if we desire to live faithfully in our life, then we we must look at Paul and let him be our example as he is Timothy's example. Listening closely to what God says through Paul's letter to Timothy. So what what is told to us in these opening verses? Paul tells Timothy the most important thing in the whole world. The most important thing that Timothy can know. He summarizes the greatest story, the greatest news ever told. I mean, what else are you going to tell somebody? If, if, consider the business analogy. What else are you going to tell your, your protege, someone you've been grooming to take over the family business, and you say, this is the end for me, so listen closely to what I'm going to say. What are you going to, you're going to say, I'm going to tell you where the treasure is buried. I'm going to tell you the combination to the, safe, the safety deposit box where all the wealth is hidden. And I'm going to tell you how to enjoy this gift, how to nurture it, how to guard it, how to receive the, all the benefits that come from having this. Because this might be my last chance to do it. He tells them the plan of the gospel. He tells them God's plan and he tells them the means of the gospel. The, rea- the reality is there's nothing more important than understanding those two things. And if we are to understand the plan of the gospel and understand the means of the gospel, it will shape us into the people that God desires us to be. And so that's it. Do you desire to be faithful in your life? Do you desire to be faithful in what God has called you to as a follower of Jesus? I'm assuming that that the answer is yes. I don't think many of us are planning to to be unfaithful or just dabbling in Christianity. Uh, Maybe we're skeptical. Maybe we have questions. But if we are all in and we say, yes, I'm a Christian and I follow Jesus, then we will probably desire to do it well and to live faithfully as God's called us to live. And Paul says, then listen very closely because it's not easy. And not all reach that faithful end. Not all finish the fight. Not all finish the race. Not all fight uh, not, all, not all fight faithfully. Not all uh, are faithful to what has been entrusted to them. And so we'll look at these two things that we need to know and believe and understand as Timothy is now going to be listening to Paul. One, the plan of the gospel. In verse 1 he says, I am an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. This is Paul's abbreviation of the gospel, his abbreviation of the good news of salvation that is found in Christ. That salvation originates in the will of God. What is the will of God? It is simply God's want to. Do you hear me on that? What is the will of God? It's God's want to. It's God's desire. What does God desire? If you are a Christian today, you are a Christian as a result of God's desire for you to be a Christian, not because of your desire. You see, when the Bible talks about desire and the will of God, they're opposed to one another. They're opposed. Paul says in Romans 3, Let, left to our own desires, left to our will, left to our pleasure, no one chooses God. No one loves Him. No one seeks Him. No one is righteous. No one chooses God on their own. 
but rather we turn aside from God. We choose our own sinful desires. And he recognizes that the heart is deceitful above all things. We, we trick ourselves into believing that, that our desires are really good. Consider this question. What makes a person a good candidate for the grace and mercy of God? I hope you see that I'm trying to trick you with that question. Why am I trying to trick you? Do you realize that the sheer, the sheer contradiction of the concept of grace, if we begin to answer that question in any way that points to our merit and our good desire and our good progress in our life, what makes us a good candidate? If we start to say, look at our life and say, well, look at how I've pleased God. Look at how my desires have been pure. The grace of God is opposed to earning. Here's what Paul is getting at. If the promise of eternal life, the promise of life in Jesus Christ is because of anything good in you, then it's not by grace and it's not by a promise. It's by a, a, a wage. It's by a payment. There we do not become recipients of the promise of God. We become employees of God who get a paycheck at the end of a work period for the good work that we have done. Paul could say, I'm, a, I'm an apostle by the will of God to tell people the good news of giving people what they deserve. And so be a better person than you are a bad person. That's not good news. That's horrible news. But he says, but what does Paul say in verse 1? He says, I have life by God's grace to tell others of the good news of salvation by God's grace. Paul says, I myself have been a recipient of God's grace, undeserving grace. And the, and the reason for that is to tell other people that God is gracious and merciful to those who don't deserve it. Paul sees himself as the, the perfect candidate for the grace and mercy of God. Why? Because Paul was a sinner. What makes us a good candidate? What makes Paul a good candidate for the grace and mercy of God? And what, should, what does Paul want Timothy to realize? What makes a person a good candidate to receive the promise of life in Jesus Christ? That he's a sinner. That apart from Christ, he has nothing. In the opening verse, Paul's going down memory lane. Something you might do, right, when you're about to die, when you know that it's the end of the road for you, you're going to think back. You're going to go down memory lane, and you're going to think about your life. And as Paul thinks about his life, there's only one reasonable explanation that he would receive the promise of life from God. And it was because of God's grace and mercy. You see, Paul was a, an expert at pursuing the right way to live. He was. He gave his life to it. As a Pharisee and a student of the law, uh, he was the up-and-coming best next thing in Judaism. He gave himself to finding out what is life all about. And the reality is that the further and the better he got at finding out what life was all about, the further he got from Christ. He was a sinner. Look at Galatians chapter 1, 15 and 16. He says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Look at something magnificent here. Not only does Paul see himself as a recipient of the grace of God before he was even born, he even sees his role as apostle and his job as calling as pastor in the same way. This is an intensely personal letter to Timothy, but it is meant 
widely for the church. It's meant widely for you and I as we sit under this teaching to hear it. The greatest news is that God promises life to those who don't deserve it. And when we think on this plan, it should give us great confidence and direction no matter what we are facing. Paul is reminding Timothy, Timothy, things are going to be hard, but guess what? God chose you before the foundations of the earth. God chose you before you were born. He called you out. He has a plan for you. The plan of God is not contingent on your behavior, on your righteousness, because it's in Christ that you are saved. It is God's mercy and grace that has come to you, Timothy. And so remember me, someone who who ordered the killing of Christians, the imprisonment, the hunting of Christians, me who endorsed the murder of Christians. The grace of God has come to me. Think about that plan. What makes you a good candidate for the grace and mercy of God? That we are needy. That we are sinful people. And God finishes what he starts. God finishes what he has started. Paul is saying God's going to finish the work that he's begun in you, Timothy. He has, remember, remember the plan that he has had for me, and God's finishing uh, what he's planned uh, for me. He completes what he begins. And whatever God promises, God provides. Whatever God promises, he gives the means for that, for completing that. God doesn't call us out of darkness and into his light. He doesn't call us out of spiritual death and into salvation and say, okay, now great, now, now figure it out, now go for it. Paul wants to encourage us that God has a plan. Do you know that God has a plan for your life? And his plan for your life is is to find your hope and your life in Jesus. That the way is Christ and the end is life. Abundant life, eternal life, everlasting life, the life of God living in us and through us that cannot be taken away. That's great. This is such a good plan. This is the best thing that we could ever hear. But what God promises, he provides. And so Paul wants Timothy to see not only the plan of God, but the plan of the gospel, but the means of the gospel. Salvation originates with the desire of God, yet Paul also sees that God uses people and circumstances and, and, and events to bring about his desire. God's grace is necessary, and yet he desires to work through the faithfulness of others. I'm really glad for you guys today, because today we end uh, the thousand-year-old debate of this doctrine. This is a really good day to be at Holy Cross. (laughs) The most complex and theologically dense and and fought-after doctrine in all of Scripture is, well, which is it? When it comes to salvation, is it the sovereignty of God that chooses us and calls us out and elects us before the foundation of the earth? Or is it us who are responsible? Is it us who choose? Is it us who react to external influences of youth pastors and and conference speakers and and pastors and, and events in our life? Well, which is it? What happens? And here's the answer. Yes. You see, Paul's theology is this. That our salvation originates in the will of God. What is the will of God? His want to. If you are a Christian today, it's because God wants you to be. God desires you to be. And apart from that, we would never have 
the promise of life. And yet, God brings about us knowing the gospel and trusting in the gospel through the means of people and circumstances and events in our life. And this is where Paul now goes with Timothy. Let's look at these means of grace in Timothy's life that has helped shape the gospel for Timothy. One, first is a personal mentor. It's, it's Paul. Paul calls Timothy his beloved child and dearly loved son in the faith. They serve together. Timothy was loyal to Paul like a son to a father. He Just look at the portrait of their relationship together. There's this deep thankfulness for Timothy. He prays for him. He loves him. And then in verse 4, we see this great concern and care for him. He says, I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. The relationship of Paul and Timothy is one of the, the most sweet, meaningful, authentic relationships of gospel friendship that we see in the Bible. And Paul shows us these essentials behind mentoring. It's not complicated. The essential components of mentoring and acting as a means of God's grace for others in our life is love and prayer. Do you have people in your life where there is this mutual sharing of of love and prayer? There's this temptation to make our faith a a private matter. There's there's a temptation to make our salvation and the plan of God for us to to have forgiveness a very private matter. This is between me and God. I I read the Bible alone. I I journal alone. I I pray alone. And God's doing a work in me alone. And and whatever He does in your life, that's great. And I'll, I'll cheer for you. But this is a private matter in my life. To get lost in our personal study and prayer, and yet there's this way that God shapes us by the gospel that is dependent on others feeding into us, loving us and equipping us and encouraging us in how to live and how to trust Jesus, people who are praying for us, reminding us that our sorrows and our circumstances are also a part of the good plan of God. See, Timothy even, Paul even says to Timothy, I, I pray for you with tears. For, for, as I think of your tears, I, I remember you. I pray for you. He acknowledges that Timothy, although safe in the promise of life in Christ, is suffering. And Paul doesn't say, don't worry about that. God loves you. He says, even this, you know, even this, I'm going to encourage you and be with you and be with you, and cry with you, and mourn with you these losses, and remind you that even this is part of God's plan. Do you, do you have a Paul in your life? Maybe that's a good question as we think about this. Do you have a Paul? Is there, in your life, is your life absent of, of older, an older man or an older woman uh, loving you and encouraging you in your walk with Jesus? Have you made yourself closed off to that kind of relationship? Thinking, oh, they won't understand. It's a generational thing. I need to hang out with people who understand me. Do you have a Paul? Can you seek out a Paul in your life? Do you have a Timothy in your life? If you're a mature leader, if you are a mature leader, invest in a, in a Timothy. You know, maybe you might think, you might be tempted to think, well, my, my children are grown, they're out of that stage of constant care, and this is my time to take a break. This is my time to rest. This is my time to be served. I imagine there would be this temptation to consider that your work is done and your time It's your time to rest. Is there a a younger mother or a younger father that you see in this congregation that you can pursue and love and meet with and pray for 
and encouraged in their faith? Is there a single person that might feel isolated and, and isolated and, and, and cut off from a community of a lot of couples that you can love them? We need this. It's, by God's, it's, it's a means of God's grace that we grow and are shaped by the gospel, having people in our life like this. Look at what else he says. What else shapes us in the gospel of grace is, is godly family members and, and even friends. What a great piece of practical history that we see in this passage. This, in a deep theological letter, we see such a practical, historical piece. Timothy, you're a godly man, and, and I'm reminded of your godly mother and your godly grandmother. So let me just say, dear moms, you do more than you know. Dear grandmothers, you are more valuable than you understand. Timothy will plant churches. He will proclaim the gospel and countless people will come to know the promise of life in Jesus Christ and trust in the gospel for salvation because of the faithfulness of Timothy's work, because of the faithfulness of Timothy's mother and grandmother to teach the gospel to them. Who will come to know Jesus, the greatest news ever told because of your child? Do you have that long view in mind? Are you even thinking about that? Is that even on your radar? that God desires to use your children to proclaim the gospel for salvation to sinners? Or is that for somebody else? Is that for, is that for pastors and youth leaders and child care uh, employees and volunteers? It is for you, moms and dads. And it is a blessing that should not be taken away from you. It is a privilege that you have that you should not be robbed of? Do you have that long view in mind? What are you doing today to, to build into your sons and daughters, even, at, even from infancy? We see this beautiful picture of these two godly women coming around Timothy, loving him, teaching about Jesus, nurturing him in the faith, teaching him the scriptures. And Paul recognizes this. This is not an accident. Most of us will have someone in our lives who encourages us in the faith. Maybe think about that person now. Who is a critical person in your life when you think about, this was a pivotal moment for me. This was a, a mentor. This was a godly parent. This was a godly friend. This was somebody who really was there for me. Were you lucky? Were you, were you fortunate? Were you merely just uh, at the right place at the right time? What if God put that person in your life for the reason of your salvation? What if the plan of God was to put that person in your life so that you can know Jesus? That's how he works. Are you a parent? Do you take seriously the calling on your life to lead your children to Jesus, to teach them God's word, to shape them with the gospel? It's a great thing. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy, this is not an accident, Timothy. It's not an accident that you have these women in your life. It's the means of God's grace. It's His kindness to you. And every person in your life, including myself, here's the truly crazy thing. Paul connects his calling before the foundation of the earth to the, the, the proclamation of the gospel to people as one and the same. So much so that Paul could rightfully say, I was born so that you could know Jesus. 
Is that wild? Do you know that you're called to the same purpose? This is really weird. You were born and saved and loved. To what end? Well, to the glory of God, of course. And what is the glory of God? What is the agenda of God? That we would know Jesus and be shaped by him, becoming more and more like him in our life. Paul is taking Timothy, he's got this 30,000 foot view of the gospel, and then he comes in close and says, even this is part of the plan of God, and it's good. Remember that, Timothy, because you're going to be in an environment where you're going to be tempted, you're going to be challenged, people are going to leave you, you're going to be all alone, and you are going to feel very small. But remember God's plan, remember his love for you, remember the people in your life. Nothing has happened on accident. But lastly, what shapes us in the gospel is this, and it's the power of God's Spirit. As he goes into this, he says it's the power of God's Spirit. God has given us the spirit of, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God uses the power of His Spirit to shape the gospel in, in us. And what does the power of God enable us to do? It allows us to trust Him when our expectations don't match reality. So when we think, God, this isn't how I thought it would work out. This isn't the life that, that, I, that I thought I would have in trusting in you. This isn't the Christian life that I desire to have. It allows us to trust in him. How? The power with love and self-control. These are a really good three. Think about those. It's not by accident. Power, love, and self-control. When you are challenged in your faith, when you're tempted, when you're having a hard time and in a difficult season, what three things go the first? Your power your endurance to keep trying, your will to get up in the morning and to be faithful, your courage, right? So there's power that goes, your love for others. You see, when you're struggling in faith, who are you thinking about? Yourself more than anyone. You see, what's matched when someone who has a sacrificial love for others and a sacrificial care for others, you usually see a growing faith, a healthy faith, power of God working in their life. You start thinking more and more about yourself and your needs, and you say, when someone's hurting, you say, well, what about my hurts? What about my needs? And what else goes? Our self-control. When we're struggling, we give in to the vices of our heart, to lust, to laziness, to addiction of all kinds. And so Paul is saying, the power of God will keep, help you to endure. It will, it will give you the love for others that you need to serve them even when, at a great cost to yourself. And it will give you self-control. It will stabilize you. It will be an anchor for your life. And on your own, this is so important, on your own, good mentors, godly parents, good family members, encouraging friends is not enough. Timothy had the blessing of having a Christ, living, growing up in a Christian home with a godly, parent, godly mother and grandmother, and he still had to believe for himself. So Paul is saying this isn't enough. So your, your, your mom and grandmother love Jesus. That's not enough. So I have been a mentor to you. That's not enough. The power of the gospel itself flows from the fact that God gave his Son for our sake, and anything that we aim to do for God in our life must draw on this power of His life in us, this personal faith with Christ. 
So what do all these things, the, the, the power of God, the plan of the gospel, the means of God and his mentoring uh, through, t- through, through Paul and through his uh, faithfulness of his mom and grandmother, what do these do for him? It helps him to have courage for what God is calling him to do, which is to live a life worthy of the gospel in spite of suffering and difficult circumstances. We are not loved like Paul loved Timothy. I'll admit that. We, we are not loved by Paul the way that he loved Timothy, but we are loved by God. We might not be called to the same ministry that Timothy was, but we're loved by God, and we're called to the same mission that this letter was preparing Timothy for, and that is to guard the gospel, to live our lives faithful to our calling, to know Jesus, and to live in a way worthy of that calling. All of us are called to that. And in that way, everything written to Timothy, every plan, every bit of theology, every encouragement, every practical advice is written for you and for me. This opening <clears throat> invites us to find ourselves in the plan of God and, and listen deeply to what he says. And so Paul says, so Timothy, knowing this, knowing the plan of God, knowing the means of the gospel in your life, he says, please fan into flame the gift of God. Laziness and idleness is is not the characteristic of a growing Christian, of a faithful Christian. Paul talks about this fan into flame. You picture this imagery. You can get it if you try. Picture this imagery of of this amber that is bright and it's red. Maybe it's getting dim. And, and Paul is saying, Timothy, this is, there's going to be so many things in your life that, is going to, that are going to try to smother the gift of God and the gospel in your life. <clears throat> Get active in it, Timothy. Fan it into flame. Nurture this calling. Trust in the gospel. Do not give way to discouragement. Do not give way to circumstances in your life. Guard it with your life. Whatever it is, the main idea is that the life of the Christian is characterized by this active responsibility and pursuit of Jesus. Fan into flame. And next week, as we get on with this letter, we move on from this introduction, but Paul is going to now confront Timothy and us with all of these different things that we ought to do to guard the gospel, to, flam in, uh, to, to fan into flame this, this gift from God. Do you want to be faithful? I'm sure you do. Do you want to know Jesus and the plan that he has for your life? Do you want to see yourself in his story, this great story of bringing healing to our world? Do you, do you want that? Do you want to live a life worthy of, of your calling? We need that. And it doesn't just come by wanting it. It doesn't come by just, like, by just assuming it. And that is what this book is all about. We begin on this journey. Be encouraged in the plan of God for you. Be encouraged in the means of His grace to you. Think about your life and the people in your life who have come alongside you and give thanks to God for that. And be encouraged that His Spirit lives in us by faith in Jesus Christ and enables us to be faithful to all that He's entrusted us with. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for a a great new start in this, this good news. 
with this letter to Timothy, that you have a plan, and it's a plan of salvation and life in Jesus, that you have, there's a means of your grace coming to us through people in our life, through pastors and friends, through parents, through roommates, through neighbors, whomever it was. We thank you for revealing to us the promise of life and enabling us to trust in you. Be with us in this series. Be with us as we worship you. And Lord, be with us in this meal as we are reminded of Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross for our sin. Pray that in Jesus' name, amen.